I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. What Drives You is brought to you by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping life and leadership coaches. Visit Ziggler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. Yeah. Welcome to What Drives You. I'm Kevin Miller, your host and guide to help you master your inner drive so you can live a driven, inspired, and peaceful life that sees you driving further and enjoying the ride. In this episode, it's a special episode. I titled it, What Drives Your Death? Walking with my dad to the end of his mortal days. I'm going to tell a story about the again, mortal death, the physical death of my dad. And it's a story that's happening right now. As I was crafting this, I was sitting out by his pool here at his Florida home. Uh, and I'm right now, for those of you watching the video, you'll see me in his studio, which I'll tell you about in just a moment. And uh, he's been asleep about 30 feet away in my parents' bedroom in a hospice bed on morphine. This is not a direct testimony about and to my dad that will come though. This does say a lot about him. This is sharing the present story and the experience, but before the story is the reason for the story. And the reason is you and me. I mean, we don't have a terminal illness diagnosis. I assume if you do seriously, please let me know. I'd love to talk. I've got questions. Uh, email me at K Miller, K Miller at Kevin Assuming you don't, however, let's talk about it. Being given a life-ending diagnosis with a timeline is life-changing. It would be for anyone, of course. I'm experiencing this, walking with somebody through it for the first time. And what's profound to me is we all have a life-ending diagnosis. I mean, we're all going to die. We just live with the assumption it will be a long time in the future somewhere. So we live with an expectation of more time. And my question is, what if we're missing the point? What if we're missing the opportunity? What if the best thing to happen to us could be a life-ending diagnosis so we could see and live clearly? That's the show. I first want to say I'm, of course, not the first person to encounter the death of a loved one. I'm not the first to walk with someone as they die. It does, however, seem I'm one of the privileged few to walk with someone in a short-term diagnosis who decides not to fight it and just enters it with open, curious, candid arms. 
it's giving us all, my family, time to talk and well, family and friends, goodness, time to talk and process and ponder and grieve and talk more and process more and ponder more and grieve more. And it's changing some paradigms for me. Testimony is, it is from all of us. This is my perspective. I mean, I'm slow at processing my thoughts and emotions. I'd be more prone to share some of this later, months after my dad has passed away. But one, I realize there's a benefit in sharing the journey while it's happening. And two, my dad's a fairly prominent guy, personality, and many of my listeners to this show, What Drives You, know it's happening. And I feel a little remiss not to address it sooner than later. So here's a brief story before I share some of the messages that are weighing on me. And there's four specific messages I really want to talk with you about. But here's a story to lead into it. On December 1st, 2023, I was in Las Vegas with my dad and my brother seeing you two in concert uh, in the, the big new sphere. And, you know, for those of you who watched the video, there, that's a t-shirt. Uh, so I was there. I got the U2 shirt. I'm wearing it for the podcast. So we went there. Oh my gosh. It was, it was very impressive to me. Uh, it was a great time with my dad and my brother, uh, a memorable spectacle of a performance and an experience uh, from uh, U2 and from the sphere. So uh, really neat. Dad was ailing a bit uh, from a recent bout. We thought it was a gallbladder issue, something that he'd recover from and bounce back from. He's done this uh, before. Uh, my dad, for those of you who don't know, Dan Miller. He's the best-selling author of 48 Days to the Work and Life You Love. From a book standpoint, that thing sold about 2 million copies. He's a renowned business coach, uh, life coach. And for those who listen to Dave Ramsey, the financial guru, uh, those guys have been buddies for about 30 years. We've been family friends. Dave, uh, I babysat his kids. It's in my book. You've read my book. Uh, my wife and I babysat his kids back when he was starting his business. He taught my one daughter to ski at his lake house. So we've got some history there. But Dave has been touting my dad, Dan Miller, in 48 Days of the Work You Love, ever since he got on the radio. Uh, matter of fact, he just flew down to see my dad a couple of days ago. We all got to visit. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But my dad, Dan, 76 years old, and he's a young 76. He looks 15 years at least younger than his peers. He's actively running his business. He goes on his daily walks. He's live and spry. He's writing new books and literally looking at the next 20 years of his active life. So I flew back from Vegas, returned home to my family on December 3rd which is just over a month ago. It was in time to celebrate my, uh, my 53rd birthday on December 6th. On December 7th, my dad went to see his doctor to look at a gallbladder issue. They came back and said, yeah, he's got an inflamed gallbladder and he has stage four pancreatic cancer. It's already spread to his liver. They soon discovered it was also into his bones, which explained the hip pain he'd been experiencing for a couple months. And they bluntly told him, get his family together. So I received a call. My brother and I, my brother was back in California. I was in Colorado. We hopped planes within the next 24 hours and jumped out here to Florida. Uh, my, my sister Ashley was already here with her family. They live in the area. Dad was in the hospital at the time, but uh, he was released. Then we had, you know, of course, what you can expect, the doctor visits, the tests, everything, then assured us that it was the worst case scenario as far as cancer goes. And it left room for three options. Number one, launch some atomic attack 
to fight this thing. No holds barred. Try every idea and option in the book from chemotherapy to flying to remote locations around the world for treatments of untold varieties. We have a very health and wellness focused family with alternative medicine. You guys know my functional medicine background. A lot of ways to address cancer, a lot of incredible success, success stories from miracles, from the worst case scenario and on. So that was one option. Number two, just pray for a miracle. Believe it's not going to happen. Pray for healing and, and go that route. We are a faith-based family. So that was number two option. Number three, accept the diagnosis and get the most out of the days left. And while we did investigate chemotherapy and we discussed some alternative treatments pretty much from the in initial diagnosis, dad did not vote for a fight. That was really apparent from the get-go, even as it was questionable somewhat to us. It was very interesting now, even in hindsight. I mean, my dad brought us up to not take no for an answer. I mean, he's famous for stating there's not a problem. There's only an opportunity for a solution. Many of you guys know author and speaker Michael Hyatt, uh, who was also down here with Dave Ramsey a couple of days ago. I've had Michael on the show four times, I think. And it was Michael's wife, Gail, who introduced my dad to the idea of looking at a problem and just asking, what does this make possible? What an optimistic and opportunity-laden view. That's a concept he so adopted that a lot of people credit him with that statement. What does this make possible? So was this him then rejecting? those very virtues, just giving up? Well, of, of course it wasn't. Uh, we did, I will point out option number two there, pray for a miracle. And until his last breath, we'll hold out some hope for that. My brother, Jared actually coordinated a prayer group of healers from around the globe. That's literally what they do. And we held a prayer session with hope that his next test would show the cancer was gone and he was healed. And with his sizable audience, there have been untold hundreds, if not thousands of people praying for his healing. I mean, I have a personal faith in God. I believe in miracles. Thus far, taking my dad's cancer away has not happened. I can't explain why. It doesn't change my faith. I'll ask God about it someday. So with the cards on the table, and I think some internal aspect maybe of knowing Dad just accepted his fate right there, right there, you know, in, in those days. And he decided to walk openly and candidly into the death of his physical body. There's lots to be discussed there. There's lots to be discussed on the spiritual front that is happening right now for all of us. And I'm going to save that for another show. There's going to be more shows on this. It's, it's too profound for there not to be. I may have Arthur Brooks actually come back on some other leaders in spirituality and do a round table and talk about some of the spiritual aspects here though. I'm going to give focus to some areas, some specific tangible areas for you to ponder along with me and possibly embrace. These won't be again, the last things, uh, and, and this won't be the culmination of them either. These are growing, but these are what's in my head, what I, and my heart that I'm pondering and I'm going to ponder them here with you. All right. You ready? Number one. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. 
Nobody knows it all on Yahoo Finance is a, an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they were hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. I live high up in the Rocky Mountains where the air is clean and fresh as possible, but then I step indoors and I'm breathing in untold amounts of toxins and allergens from paint and carpet and cleaning chemicals and pets and furniture and appliances and mold and so on. Studies show the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air anywhere you are. And in some places, it's a hundred times worse than that. Well, the solution is to get an air purifier and air doctor is just the best out there. It filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen and pet dander and dust mites and mold and even bacteria and viruses so your lungs don't have to try to do that. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com. You can use the promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash Kevin. All right, you ready? Number one, do you really need to say the hard things at the end of life? You hear a lot about that people who need to finalize something. Here's mom or dad or whoever on the spouse on the deathbed, and they need to get these hard things out uh, and and to say these things and find some closure and maybe forgiveness and, and whatnot. Now, my gosh, this is such a big issue, and there are so many different 
experiences and perspectives that people have. So I am, I am pondering, this is not some definitive statement from me, but I did, you know, I didn't have a perfect relationship with my dad. He's not a perfect guy. I'm not a perfect son. We're not perfect people. We didn't have a perfect friendship. There were uh, things that I have had, you know, probably held on to some dissatisfactions. And I think he, he probably has as well. And yet here he is with this end of life diagnosis. And I even had some friends of mine say, Hey, this is a time to get real, you know, and talk about what really, you know, what you need to get what you need to say kind of thing. I had no desire to just Sharon, you know, for better or worse. I just didn't. I thought, why, why now it may help that I'm reading fervently a lot about attachment, not relational attachment, some so much, but attachment to things, to anything. I'm reading Anthony DeMello. I talk about him a lot. Um, he, he's deceased guy as well, but Anthony DeMello, he has a little book called uh, The Way to Love, little bitty book about attachment. And I was looking at that and going, what, do, what am I so attached to that I might need from my dad, that I need closure from, that I need his affirmation on? What do I need? And I looked at that and thought, I, well, if I do, again, I, I'm, I'm really sensitive in sharing this. But for myself, at least, I thought, well, anything that I would need is something that I'm attached to, and I'm working to not be attached to things. And I'm hoping that that is a healthy reality that when I looked at this, I thought, I don't have something I need to get off my chest to my dad. What's he going to do about it at this point? What would he say? I'm sure he'd say, gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know, which is kind of on me for not talking about it a long time ago if I have something I'm holding on to. So what do I, what am I attached to? What do I need? And, and why? Why do I need it? That probably says more. So if you looked at that and and realized, again, somebody close to you is dying and, oh my gosh, you need to say this. Why? Why? And I'd say, well, then do it now if you really need it. But I'd also ask you to question why. Why do you need it? What are you attached to? What do they have that you so desperately need? And why do they have it? Never said it that way. Why do they have that thing that you need? Why can you not provide it for yourself? Why can, depending on your faith, why can't God provide it for you? I mean, you know, there's the other idea too of, and I thought too of, oh gosh, that's selfish for me to need anything. This is about him and about his death. I don't, I don't even necessarily feel that. I mean, if he's going to die and, and be, you know, gone physically from this earth, I'm the one that's left here. I'm left here with his wife, his kids, his grandkids. So if I need something desperately, then I, I think it's okay to go get that. But again, what do I need? What am I dependent on my dad for or on anyone for, no matter who it would be, whether it was my best friend, my spouse, my kid, or my parent who is on that deathbed right now? What do they have that I need? Why do they have it? Well, that's an interesting way to say it. I hadn't thought about that before right now. And what responsibility does he have for me? I'm 53 years old. I know lots of people who haven't had their dads ever. I've got adopted kids who never knew a dad. Well, they know me now, obviously, but you know, what is the responsibility? I'm curious as you think about that and ponder that for somebody close to you, if they were at their end, you know what? I'll put it this way. For those of you who have lost someone, you have lost someone close to you. Is there, are there things you wish you'd said? I'd literally like to know. Tag me on social media. 
along with this show. It's episode 1300. Ask a question, do the direct message thing, or put a comment or email me, kmiller at kevinmiller.co. All right, number two. So here he is. He has this life-ending diagnosis. And I'm thinking, all right, man, I literally said this. There were some late nights and I said, all right, I I want your best. I want you to give us and everybody your best. If you got to boil it all down, all right, all this wisdom you've been given and all this content that you've been given for 30 years, all your life to some degree. I mean, again, I'm in his studio. You guys see his books are in rows behind me and the books of the great people that he has communed with and walked with. Thank you. Give me your best, man. And ultimately he kind of was like, I, I have been, I have been, I spent my life every day. I'm trying to give my best. And it kind of, I don't want to say it shocked me. It kind of set me aback. Going, well, gosh, that makes sense. Even though I'm feeling like, okay, I want, I'm an opportunistic guy. I'm like, okay, man, this is where the crap hits the fan. Rubber hits the road. Give me your best. And he's kind of saying, well, I kind of have, I was almost let down initially, but then I thought, well, what a way to live. Do I want to end what I would, if I got the life sentence right now, what do, what would I all of a sudden be like, Oh crap, I, I, I got to impart this. Well, why don't I impart it now? So I can end like he is. And I thought about I'm a big music guy and you, and you look at the most prolific music musicians of our day or singers, you know, Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift and Celine Dion or Bono, who I just saw in the U2 concert. If they got a life ending sentence, man, you got 30 days. Would they be clamoring to say, oh crap. No, 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 no. I got another song. I got another song. I got, I got to write this and sing this one. Ooh, I got, I got to before I go. I kind of thinking that they go, you know, I just been writing as fast as I can, as much as I want to for a long time. I'm good. It's pretty great. It's pretty peaceful. Have I been living that way? And folks, I'm not telling you that I have. I'm pondering these things. These are the things that I'm, and again, I'm still within it. I'm still here. Dad's on hospice and we're dealing with stuff every moment. I'm not even working that much. I'm having, it's not a lot of time to reflect at the moment. So I'm just giving you what's just culminating, what's boiling up right now. But how interesting does he have this last ditch music to sing? And he doesn't. How could I be living that now? How could I be doing my music, singing my music daily right now, imparting what I want, serving how I want, giving what I can right now? So that things came to an end, I'm not left holding the bag of going, oh, I didn't give this out yet. It's a lot to think about. Here's another one, number three. How about regrets? How about regrets? I think he's actually said it. You know, that I, gosh, no, no big regrets, but we got to unpack what regrets means, how people view that. I can't imagine any sane person looking back and saying, there is nothing I ever did that I regret doing. I think that would be psychotic. Uh, of course, we've done things that we regret, said things we wish we hadn't, acted in ways we wish we hadn't, made decisions. I know my dad, my gosh, he's got a list of things. He'd say, oh, if I could go back, I wouldn't have done that. Even if it's redeemed, that's an interesting thing because we'll do something and realize, oh my gosh, I got wisdom from that. Uh, out of that came XYZ that was beautiful. I wouldn't have gotten if I hadn't had that problem or that challenge or that that mistake or 
whatever it was. So there's redemption. I mean, that's part of my own faith in God and, and, and in life that we can redeem the mistakes. But does that mean I go back and go, yes, yeah, so I'm grateful. I'm actually going out today. I'm going to make a really bad decision, make a really bad mistake just so I can redeem it. It'll be beautiful. We don't live that way. Uh, so of course there's things that we go back. I think I feel, okay, I'll, I'll own it for myself. I have a hard time seeing not having regrets. Dan Pink, I had Dan, Dan Daniel Pink on the show a year ago or so with his book, The Power of Regret. I had him on the show because I believe regrets exist and they're powerful and they should have power. Uh, I've learned and am learning not to have continued guilt, especially not to have shame and to live in that, to give myself grace. As Tom Ziegler, my buddy says, have the highest standards and the deepest grace. Most of my life, I've missed that second part, the deepest grace. So regrets, sure. But if we broaden it out to go, oh my gosh, do you just you know wish you'd lived a different life and wish you had done this and done that? He's looking at it and going, man, not really. He says, I, I kind of did what I wanted to do. Even the bucket list, you know, you look at the bucket list, which is a movie I, I appreciate. It's very entertaining and very sweet and uh, funny and and whatnot. The bucket list has Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson, uh, and yet even that is interesting. It's you know, it's kind of off off of the Morgan Freeman character of a guy who didn't do a lot of the things that he wanted to, and he got to do those. That's cool. My dad hasn't done that. He's gotten to do that. You know, he's gone on cruises and he's traveled the world somewhat. He's kind of done the things that he wanted to. And I'm looking at that and going, gosh, do I have this long list of things that, that I want to do? And now I, I say that it brings into, you know, issues of money. You know, somebody says, oh my gosh, I've just always wanted to go to Paris. And they literally have not had the money. I have compassion for that. And I am not discounting that and, and chastising that and saying, well, if you've got that as a bucket list, you should do that now. And you've got three little kids and you're a single mom and you want to go to Paris, you don't have the money. I'm not doing that. We got to have some grace for that, some compassion uh, for that. Overall though, you know, to look at that and going, are there things that you will have regretted not doing? That's one of the deathbed regret issues is we have more regrets for things we didn't do than what we did. So what is that list? And you may not be in a place to do it all right now, but have you at least written it out? You know, we're, we're at that time of the year, January, 2024 of goals, resolutions, whatever they are, but what are those achievements? That's why I put a focus on achievement. What are some things you would like to do, experience and achieve that are just meaningful to you? I would ask you to say, why, why is it just something you have on a list? Cause you think you should like that Paris, everybody wants to go to Paris. I don't want to go to Paris. I have zero desire to go to Paris. I'd rather go for a run around the neighborhood right now. Uh, you know, but find the thing, what is it that you want and why, and then put it out there. If it's going to destination that you want to drive to, uh, you'll never get there without writing down what the destination is and then look at how could it happen? What would it take? And that gives you some possibility for making that happen. But, you know, looking at regrets, of course, we have mistakes in our past that I would, I have a perspective that we wish we might not have done. But overall, big picture, man, if this, if you got the 30 day life sentence here, uh, what would you go? Oh crap. I haven't done X yet. Put it on, put it, put it down. Don't be afraid. I would say be free to put it down. Not with shame, not with a bunch of guilt, but put it down and be honest with it. 
It's not your self-worth, but put it down, write it down. So you've got a, a map in essence of some things that you would like to have done before you get that diagnosis, which could happen at any moment. Number four. Number four, how would you live if you couldn't make things better? Friends, I wrote this this morning before I decided to even do this podcast. I wrote this and I shared a little bit of it with my family. So I want you to think about something. So here's my dad. He's rapidly dying from cancer. It's overtaking his body. Uh, He's on more and more pain meds to take care of the pain, which dulls his senses, which is a bummer, but you don't want the pain either. And it dawned on me last night as we were standing around his bed, sitting around his bed, saying some songs to him. There's no expectation of improvement. I have no file for that, as my therapist would say. I have no file for that. There's no expectation for improvement. I've never, ex- ex- I've never allowed that in my life. I don't think he, my dad has allowed that before. Of course, there's an opportunity for a solution. You know, what does this make possible? He's looking now and going, well, there's, there's, you know, a miracle can happen, but there's no expectation of improvement. And it just weighed on me. I thought about it last night, talked about it, wrote about it. I did this morning. Here I am doing it again. No expectation of improvement. We look at everything with the expectation of improvement or bettering it. That's not bad. I mean, I'm still going to do that, but I'm curious. What would my psyche, what would my mental state be like if I didn't look at everything thinking I could and maybe should improve it? Now, I'm not one to just accept things, to settle. You know, we talk about that settle. It's like it's a dirty word. But I do look at some things now and go, well, should I? I I've thought about it in past year or so at my home. I have, I, have an, I have a nice home in my standards. It's a big home. It's a custom home. It's not fancy. It's a very utilitarian home with a zillion kids in it. Uh, but it's up in the national forest. It's way up in the mountains. It's higher than a lot of people would like. They're having a blizzard right now. It's not perfect. Uh, and yet I found myself getting itchy thinking I should better it. You know, I should, we should, should we look at another home or a second home or whatever? And it finally dawned on me as I looked around and thought, what if I died here? Is that so bad? I have a custom home up in a national forest. I go run every day and overlook all these 14,000 foot peaks on my high mountain lake. You know, of course I'm listing out my stuff and you may look at your where you're at and 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 you don't like it and that's relevant. That's relevant. If you look at it and go no this is not okay. I hear you. I'm not looking at everything in my life and saying everything is okay. There are some things in my life that need to get better and they literally do. Yet I'm going to I'm going to veer on this other side for a moment. What if I can't? What if I can't? What if that is not my sole focus is to get up and better and improve everything. Can I do that? Back to Anthony DeMello and attachment. Can I do that? Cause I want to, cause I think it would help me help other people. It would be nice. It's a desire. Sure. But can I also let go of it and go, man, that is not the most important thing of life. Improving that thing or bettering that thing. Is that more important than just being present, looking out the window or being outside and being grateful, looking in the mirror and being grateful looking at my family and being grateful, looking at what I have 
and stepping back and go, man, is, is the point of life to just better things and improve things? Does that, here's the kicker for me, does that distract me from being here and being now and being happy and being at peace? Honestly, if every if, if I got some mandate that says, Kevin, you cannot change or improve any circumstantial thing in your life for the next ever or year or month or whatever, you can't. Okay, you got to boycott that. You are banned from bettering and improving. You just have to be. Be with yourself. If you want to better something, better something inside of you. Well, that's different. That's a different perspective. That's not how I generally get out of bed in the morning. I'm thinking about how I can influence and affect my external world, the things in my life, how I live, where I live, the people in my life, how I can better that. Again, I'm not negating that. I have that desire. I want to be better. I want to grow and improve. I want to change some environmental things in my life, some of the circumstantial things. There are some possessions even that I desire. I think I do want a home near the ocean at some point, but am I attached to it? Can I be happy without that? And is my life, should it be devoted lock, stock, and barrel from the get-go of my day to those things? And are they distracting me from being here and being now and having joy and having peace in my moment. Again, folks, I'm pondering these things. I'm going to stop there. There's a big subject out of all this in regards to the messages we tell ourselves. You know what? I'll give you this just as a teaser. My dad, actually, I said I would say this, didn't I? So yesterday, uh, no, day before, a couple days ago, uh, Dave Ramsey, who a lot of you guys know, really very famous guy with finances. If you don't know him, uh, he has his own airplane and he flew down. He told my dad, who do you want there? Who do you want there for a last visit? And my dad picked out, uh, some people, handful of people and Dave flew him down. Michael Hyatt was one of them. So Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, who have been dear friends of my family for, or my parents forever, my family, but my parents, Michael and Gail Hyatt, who have as well, and some other folks. And they came down and sat around dad and just asked him, what's, what's happening? What you thinking? And dad, I'm going to say held court. He got to sit there and be a sage to these folks as he's sitting with this life ending diagnosis. And he repeated a lot of phrases and a lot of messages that he has for years. And it reminded me of another guy who I experienced doing that, Zig Ziglar. I don't remember the year, 2010, maybe. It was two, it was like, it was just, just, just less than two years before Zig passed away that I was with him, got to spend a day. He had had a cognitive impairment from an injury, a fall, and would repeat himself. And he repeated those messages that he is famous for, that he is known for. What are the messages that are going around in our heads that we're telling ourselves and telling others that would come back at the end, the paramount, the climax? So that's a bigger show. That's significant. And there's a lot to talk through. I'll come back to that in another special episode like this. 
uh, be great to hear from you. Again, you can email me kmiller at kevinmiller.co. And if you know my dad and have not been made aware, you can go to his tribute page. It's pretty significant. Muriel, M-U-R-I-A-L dot life slash Dan dash Miller. Muriel, M-U-R-I-A-L dot life forward slash Dan dash Miller. There's a significant amount of people who have left, who've left him a, they call it a love kit, but it's just a testimony. Dan, this is what you meant to me. This is what I got from you. So if you'd like to, please go there. I'm seeing them as well. So is my whole family. It is as much of a gift to us as a family, uh, as it is to my dad, maybe even more. It's something that we will retain forever, like a book of testimonies to dad, to Papa, as his grandkids call him. Uh, would be a gift if you wanted to go there as well. Well, friends, thank you for walking with me as I, as I ponder these things. I will be pondering them more. I will be talking about them more. There are some of these messages that I feel are going to be part of the legacy of my dad's passing on from this earth that are things I want to retain and communicate long haul. So I'll be coming back to them. Love to hear your thoughts on them. Again, uh, if you do, email me, kmiller at kevinmiller.co. Folks, if you appreciate the podcast, want to let others know, please leave us a rating or review. Actually, if you appreciate the podcast, here's one on death. Share it with some people. It's obviously a gift to me. Uh, our, our business downloads, our reach increases. If you let people know about the show, what drives you podcast, but leave us a rating on Spotify or a rating or review on Apple podcast. You can subscribe on YouTube or any social media at kevinmiller.co. And you can see these videos. More and more of you guys are doing that as well. If you want to learn to master your own inner drive, see what's driving you, see what's driving you as you head towards death, a physical death, get my book, What Drives You on Amazon. Until next time, stay driven.